Then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong And I learned how to get along And so you're back from out of space I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face What's up everybody? Today is Monday, February 15th, 2021 and we have been snowed and iced out of everything here in South Texas. So here I am in my pajamas at 3 o'clock on a Monday. And for those of you who don't know, my name is Brandon Harper, and you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I've got a few things to talk about today. I apologize for missing last week, although I said I might. I was out of town. Where did I go? Oh, yeah, so it's in San Antonio dog training. But I'm back now. It's like 31 degrees outside, and I'm recording. If there's one thing you've learned about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. I come here about once every week or so to get all my opinions off my chest. You'll agree with some, and you'll disagree with others. But no matter what, we can still be friends. So sit back, relax, and hand your voting ballots over to me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. thunk it. High of 31 degrees here in South Texas today. Everybody had to go wrap your pipes. Wrap your pipes up. Don't let them burst. Yes, I did it too. You know, I have a bunch of hose bibs that are exposed. Just PVC. And it's funny because people don't even bother insulating their pipes here. And then when it freezes, everyone runs around with towels and duct tape and covers them all up. That's good enough for a couple days. So yeah, if you didn't know any better, you'd think we're living in the Arctic. Lots of people without power all over the state. It never ceases to amaze me whenever I hear that the power grid cannot keep up with demand. You know, it's it's funny because, like, they don't count on everyone using everything all at one time. And so when they when they do that, when people go to using everything, it puts a strain on the, on the grid, and they cannot produce power fast enough to meet everyone's demand. But I, I really never thought that... Um, it was all that common. I heard about it in places like California, but I figured that they were just trying to do the green thing and not produce much electricity. But here we are in Texas. I think like a few million Texans are without power. This is why we should keep funding research for solar panels because if we had solar panels, we wouldn't um we w- we wouldn't have the problems of not having power. False. I learned from Elon Musk recently that we have just about maximized our capability when it comes to solar panels. You see, there's only so much power that the sun gives off. And with what we have now, we're absorbing a good amount of it. I don't remember what percentage it was, but it's a decent amount. Converting that to energy, selling it back to the grid, storing it, or whatever. But according to Papa Elon, he said that in order to increase the efficiency of the panels you'd have to kind of redesign them in a way that made them way more expensive. And so he said it would it would go to about 10 times the cost of what they are now. Well, the numbers on that just don't work. Just like they didn't work on regular solar, solar panels in the 1980s. 
You know, the pr production and storage and usage of energy is a very complex thing. And you have all these people that run around acting like they know all the solutions and all these things to do. And, oh, we got to switch over to renewable energy. And we got to do away with coal. And we can't have the pipeline. And, and once again, it's these people running around pointing out problems that don't really have solutions. You know, I, I don't understand how someone can tell me we have to end fracking. And then you ask them why. And they say, well, it's just, it's just hard on the environment. And then you say, actually, there's no record of a company destroying anything while fracking. According to the EPA, EPA has never fined anyone. We all know that the EPA would love to find someone for, for damaging things while fracking. So you've got these people that don't really understand these processes and they run around screaming that things need to change because they've heard it from someone. They didn't come to their own conclusion. They didn't take the time to do a bunch of research to figure out how fracking works or what it even means or how that we frack at a depth way deeper than our water supply goes. And that by fracking, it is physically impossible to destroy water supply. You see, people don't take the time to understand that. Whenever Joe Biden was talking about, you know, he couldn't decide whether or not we're going to end fracking. And he said, we're not going to end it. And we said, we're going to end it. He said, we're not going to end it. He says, we're going to end it. I would love to say, excuse me, Joey. Yeah, Mr. Hairplugs. Tell me about fracking. He wouldn't even know where to begin. He wouldn't know what a frack pump is. He wouldn't know what frack sand is. He wouldn't know what saltwater injection is. He wouldn't know what any of that is. He just, but he, I trust the science, you know. Science is becoming a religion. Whatever these quote-unquote scientists say, people just buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. People, you got to start questioning things. You have to start asking for proof. You have to say, what's the source? Where did you get that? But we don't. We just sit back and accept whatever narrative supports our, our liking. And you know what? Maybe fracking is terrible for the environment. Maybe it's bad. I've done tons of research. I can't figure out how it is. Maybe I'm missing something. But my whole point is we should take the time to question it. Because what if these scientists are wrong? Think about how many times, quote unquote, scientists missed the mark. We used to think it was okay to smoke cigarettes. We thought the freaking earth was flat. We thought you could never get to the moon. We thought the Chinese virus came from bat soup. We thought Al Gore invented the internet. Okay, okay, so not all of us thought that, but some people thought that Al Gore really invented the internet. What about Fauci? Let's talk about Fauci. You think he's gotten anything wrong? Oh yes, of course. Without going into great detail, he's gotten lots of things wrong. Did I mention that he's the most highly paid government employee in the entire country? $417,000 per year. And he can't even decide whether or not masks are helpful. Once again, my whole point is that you should just question things. Question things. Come to your own conclusions. Don't just sit back there like a bird in the nest. Don't be like the little whiny baby who goes, I just wish someone would filter out all of the bad information and then that way I could just sit on my ass and be fed accurate information and I wouldn't have to work for it. Don't be that guy, please. Thank you. Speaking of compliance, I have a question here I'd like to pose. Imagine if you had something, a piece of information or a product 
that you needed to convince the entire public that they needed or needed to buy or follow or do. So you have this information. How do you convince everyone that you possibly can that it's real? There's, this is a trick question. I want you to think back to the beginning of COVID times, back when everyone was kind of scared. And some people were really scared. Some people still are really scared, but I feel like the fear is becoming less and less. So rewind time a little bit. Think about when the reporters were scared and the politicians were scared and how that information disseminated down into the general public. Now, when you look at the types of people in this world, I think you can classify them into fearful or not fearful. It's a huge generality, and I understand that. But let's just say that we can classify these two types of people into fearful and not fearful. And as soon as COVID hit, the fearful people went around screaming at everyone that this is the end of the world and we need to take it seriously and we're not taking it seriously and we're going to kill old people. So there was this group of people, they feared the outcome of this virus. And so if I'm just a commoner, if I'm just a normal plebe, and I see someone that's actually scared, that's terrified, someone like Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, let's just pretend that I looked up to these people and I trust what they say and I trust what they do, and they tend to be of the fearful type, and I put stock in them, I trust in them, more than likely I'm going to be fearful as well because if someone that I looked up to is acting a certain way, it's likely that I'll act the same way as them. And so when all this started unfolding, I don't think that people like Kamala Harris were, were trying to trick people. I don't think that they were making a bigger deal out of it than it really was. I just think that they're the types of people who fear things like this. And so it wasn't a matter of them trying to be deceitful or tricking the public into being scared. It was a matter of them actually being scared and so that feeling trickled down. And, and, and the same holds true for the other people, the, the people on the right who didn't show fear and they weren't scared. And you know what? Maybe they were wrong. Maybe they should have been more fearful. But the only thing that can, they can say that that's true is what the death rate turned out to be and whether or not it exceeded their threshold. And, and not necessarily either group is right or wrong. But I just want to use this to illustrate to see how everyone keeps talking about this divide, this divide, this divide, and the mask, the mask, the mask, and the virus, the virus, the virus. But this is how it happens. Everyone has their people that they believe in, that they put stock in, and they're going to end up more than likely doing whatever that person does. And so this is why all of the Trump supporters, I can't say all of, I can't say this is why, but I can say it's a reasonable assumption that lots of Trump supporters are not fearful of this because they see Trump not fearful of this. And because they don't fear this, they're not willing to wear the mask. They're not willing to, to make all these exceptions and change their way of life. And that's all it boils down to is whether or not someone is truly scared of something. And, and I know people all day long say, yeah, but you can spread it to old people too, even if you're not scared of it. I understand that. Or you can choose not to be around old people. You can still go out and live your life. You can still do what you need to do. And you can still not 
participate in the things that could be dangerous to other people. But I'm starting to figure out that as time goes on, we're getting farther and farther away from from the notion that people should make their own decisions and suffer the consequences or benefits that come through those decisions. And where I've seen this most, the most examples of this that I've seen in my lifetime, is now that I'm having to hire younger people. And I see the degradation of work ethic. I see that that they do not want to work, no matter how much you pay them. It, it's not a matter of it's not being enough money. It's like, I just don't really want to work. I mean, we had someone apply for a job the other day. And they, um, they got the job. I asked them how much they needed to make. I said, okay, I will pay you that much. This person came highly recommended from another restaurant. They're going to work in our barbecue kitchen. They didn't show up for the first day on the job. They didn't call to say they couldn't make it. And I just thought to myself, who raised you? Who taught you that that was okay? Because had I done that when I was 21, 22, if my mother found out that I did that, oh, oh, you better believe I would have gotten a talking to. That is completely unacceptable. And you know what? Guess how many times this has happened? Three. This has happened three times. And sure, maybe that's not the end-all, be-all example, but it does tell me that people are wanting to work less than, than ever before. I mean, we're like the coolest place to work. We're extremely laid back. We don't have a ton of rules. You get free beer while you're working. I mean, what else could you possibly want? I had another guy that was supposed to start on Sunday. He, we, had the, we had the hiring discussion on Saturday. He was good to go, happy with the price, willing to come work. What does he do? He texts me late Saturday night. Hey, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be there tomorrow. Um, I forgot that I had made plans because it's Valentine's Day to take out my girlfriend. And, you know, it's not really my fault. I got drunk and forgot. And so I'm like, how can you sit here and say that it's not your fault? That is the problem. That is the problem. The problem is that you got drunk and forgot that you committed to work and you committed to a Valentine's date. The problem is that you're sitting here telling me that it's not your fault. Of all the people I know who, who are, have potential and they're not successful, it is only because they lack effort and they lack ownership. You, you know the people. These are the people that have all the potential in the world and they're still getting handouts from their parents over the, and they're like 30 years old, you know? And, and this isn't everyone. Sure, people fall on hard times. I get that. My mom was there. I remember when my mom had to ask for help from some family members. But you better believe she paid it back. So, yeah, my whole point is that work ethic is degrading. And you know what? I will be happy to replace people with robots. I know it sucks. But you know what? If people aren't willing to work, and robots are, and I can get more productivity out of a robot, and a robot isn't going to text me 30 minutes after they're supposed to be at work and say, I'm not sure if I can make it. I rolled my ankle. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm not sure if I can make it. I rolled my ankle. 30 minutes after you're supposed to be there. Who thinks this is okay? I'll tell you what. This is who thinks it's okay. The kind of people who will be working for a low wage their entire life. And, and they're going to wake up one day and they're going to be the victim and they're going to owe a bunch of people a bunch of money. They're not going to be able to cover their bills. And it's going to be someone else's fault. You know, one of my heroes in regards to business or business management or 
someone that I, I look up to is a guy named Mattress Mac. He's out of Houston. He just had his 70th birthday this past week, and he has a great story. He does a ton for the Houston community. He does a ton for the nonprofits and the charities in Houston. Just a good guy. But this guy works harder than anyone you've ever known. He was a crackhead at one point in his life. He woke up one morning and thought, I'm done with this. I'm going to make something of my life. So he had a truck. He went out and bought a circus tent and a bunch of mattresses. He started selling mattresses on the side of the road underneath his circus tent. Now the guy's a multimillionaire, flies around in a private jet, has more money than he knows what to do with. But the guy still goes to work every single day. Works 10 to 12 hours a day. Every deal that the, that the store makes comes across his desk. He either signs off on it or he doesn't. And I have so much respect for that kind of guy. And granted, he's probably going to work himself into the grave. He will probably die early, and he'll probably die at work, and he's probably okay with that. But I respect that so much more than the person who doesn't know if they can come in because they rolled their ankle. I just wish that for every story of the people who don't want to come work, there was 10 more like Mattress Mac. But if that were the case, the lines would be too long at Disneyland. Speaking of Disneyland, I want to talk a little bit about Bitcoin. I know a lot of people have heard me mention it, but um, I've never really gone into detail in regards to exactly what it is, how it works, etc. Anyone who knows me knows that I bought Bitcoin a long, long time ago. And let's just say I thought it was a bad idea at the time. Not bad, but I thought it was risky. And it still is. It could crash to zero. But certainly by now you've heard the hoopla. Even on MSNBC, they're talking about Bitcoin. CNN, Fox News, it's a staple of the, uh, the financial world. So what exactly is Bitcoin? You've heard it called the digital currency, digital gold, all that stuff. So what it is, is it's a, it is a currency. So a Bitcoin is a coin, but it doesn't actually exist. It's just a, it's a chunk of data that's got a serial number tied to it. And every Bitcoin has its own serial number. There's a limited number of Bitcoins that will ever be produced. And the way that they're produced is by allocating your computer and your computer's memory to the network, which does computations to verify that all the serial numbers are in the places where they need to be. And so every time you transfer from, you know, if I wanted to hand Bitcoins off to a friend, I send it from my wallet to their wallet. So the wallet is just a place where your Bitcoin is stored. And all of these transactions, every time the Bitcoin changes hands, it goes on a ledger. No different than the standard accounting process, except the ledger that the Bitcoin goes on is called the blockchain. And it has record of every single time a Bitcoin has traded hands. One more thing that I feel like I need to mention is that Bitcoin can be divided up into a, a lot of decimal places, right? So, and there's a name for each, each denomination, I think it can go out to eight decimal places. So, you know, there's a name for that. A half of a Bitcoin, a quarter of a Bitcoin, an eighth of a Bitcoin. They all have their own names. All the way down to 0.00000000001. Now, going back to how they're produced. Um, you know, you, you allocate your computer or a server into doing the computations. Well, you're rewarded for that with Bitcoin. So you get paid in the product that your computer is processing 
in exchange for doing the processing. And once again, the processing happens every time Bitcoin changes hands. So if somebody goes in and they buy $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, it's just like the stock market. They may pick up one from this guy, one from that guy, one from another guy, a quarter from another guy, a third from another guy, until it meets the whole order. And every single time that happens, it's put on the ledger, the blockchain, that this this Bitcoin, this this serial number, went from this account to that account. And it's there forever. It can't be cracked. It can be cracked, but right now, you have to think of it as one big computer system. So it's all these guys who are doing the mining basically hand over their computer to the server, and it treats all these computers like it's one big computer. And so if you take the computing power of the Bitcoin blockchain, it's like, I don't remember the exact number, but it's like some ridiculous amount of times more powerful than the world's current most powerful computer. I want to say it's like 100 times more powerful. And so because of that, you know, if, if one computer gets hacked, you still have all these other ones that, that, are, that are picking up the slack. They can detect when something's not right. And so it's, um, it's completely anonymous too. So even though the, there's a ledger that shows where the Bitcoin was transferred from and to, you don't necessarily know the person who owns that account. Now, there are some newer uh, wallets that, that require you to give over your information. But if you have the older ones, there's nothing that ties it to you as a human. So over time, the Bitcoin became more valuable because people saw what they could do with it. You have a, a digital currency that's untraceable, that is basically f impossible to be cracked. And so just because of that, there's value there. And so the original people who invented it, they wanted it to be a currency, not an investment tool or a commodity. And right now you hear about people, quote, investing in Bitcoin, end quote. They're just buying in, hoping that the price goes up and they could sell for a higher price and make money. But that wasn't the intentional goal. And that's part of the reason why I haven't sold mine is because I want to see it turn into an actual currency that people use to buy and sell things and just like they use dollars. And unlike the U.S. currency or the U.S. dollar, there's no centralized system. So with the U.S. government, they have what's called the Federal Reserve. And what the Federal Reserve does is they manipulate the policy in regards to, to the way that money moves around in order to make it do what they think our economy needs to do. So, for instance, if they want to stimulate lending, they go in and they lower the federal interest rate. And that's the rate that the banks borrow money from the federal government at. So if they want to lower that, if they want to increase borrowing, they go lower the interest rate. If they want to slow down borrowing and saying, hey, there's too many people that are over leveraged, they raise the interest rate. That's just one tool that they have. With Bitcoin, no such thing exists. The only thing that there is, is there's a, a block of them and they're being mined every day. They're being produced. And when that runs out, that's it. No more can be produced. So at that point, there will be a small fee to conduct the transaction because remember, we got to compensate all these computers that are allocating themselves to the network. And I don't know how they're going to pay out that if there's no more Bitcoin left to be mined. But there's 21 million Bitcoin that can ever be produced. And I think right now there's like 18.4 million that have already been produced and that are in the supply, moving around, changing hands, being used to buy and sell things. 
So there's only about three million left that can be created. Or technically not created, uncovered, right? They're already there. The serial number's already stamped on them. You just got to pull them out. And if you want to buy some Bitcoin, all you have to do, you have to go to um, an exchange, which uh, would be like Coinbase.com. You set up an account. You deposit money from your bank into your Coinbase account. It's just like PayPal. So you stick some money in there, and then you go to an exchange, and you buy, if you want to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum. So now there's tons of other cryptocurrencies that have come on the market after Bitcoin. They all kind of work the same way, but they have some different details. So, and those fluctuate in value too. Bitcoin is the top dog. Uh, one of the problems with Bitcoin is that it's kind of slow uh, to verify transactions. So when you're sending Bitcoin to someone or you're receiving Bitcoin, there's kind of a split second there where everyone's worried. It's probably, it's probably not warranted, but there's a split second where you look and the money's gone out of your account and it's not in the other person's account. And so there's just like minute of everyone looking around going, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And then boom, it shows up. But that's just part of it. Um, so that's one of the drawbacks of Bitcoin compared to the other cryptos is that it's a little bit slower. The good thing is that, that it costs money to move money around. If you think about the world, if I needed to move $5 million to Japan, well, think about all the fees that I would incur moving that money around. I'd have to pay the bank for some kind of insurance policy. Then they'd have to wire it. There would be a fee for wiring it. Then there would have to be a fee for receiving it. And it just, it adds up. But with Bitcoin, there's no fee. Well, it's tiny, like 38 cents, 40 cents for any transaction, doesn't matter how big. Now, the exchanges might charge you some more for that. But if you go from wallet to wallet, that's, uh, that's it. That's the fee. So, yeah, the draw to Bitcoin is that it's, it's true money, right? It's true currency. If you think about when we started using currency or a precious metal for currency, the way that it went down was, I have a cow, you grow potatoes, I need potatoes, you need some beef. Well, it doesn't make sense for you to buy a whole cow. You don't have no way to keep it cold. You have one little family. I can't really cut the leg off one cow and keep them alive. So we got to come up with something. So that's when people started using gold. And they said, look, we can't swap straight up potatoes for cows. But I can pay you in this gold. And with this gold, I will give you enough to give me a piece of the cow. And then someone else will give you enough to get another piece of the cow. And so on and so forth. And then by the time it's all over with, the cow farmer now has this chunk of gold. And he can use that to buy whatever it is that he needs. And so that's the history of currency. I know you didn't sign up for that today, but that's the basic, basic, brief history of currency. Until then, everyone just bartered. We all swapped cows for carrots. So the advantage of Bitcoin is that it's an actual currency. It's, it fits the meaning of a currency. It cannot be manipulated by the government or someone else. It's anonymous. That's a huge thing. It's cheap to move around. Up to this point, it's completely hacker-proof. And those are the big ones. You can kind of see uh, the allure just from those. But one day the prices will stabilize and it won't be an investment tool. It'll just be um, like putting your money in the bank. The prices won't fluctuate. Until then, price is going to keep skyrocketing until it stabilizes. And so I'm just hanging on for the ride. At this price where it's at right now, it's, it's getting close to being $50,000 a piece. Uh, I don't think I'm going to keep buying it unless it falls back down. Because, you know, I just don't, 
it's 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 risky, it's volatile, it could crash to zero one day. We don't know. From what I understand, the only thing that could throw it off the throne is a uh, a new product called quantum computing, and I'm not nerdy enough to understand it, nor am I going to try to explain it. So yeah, that's kind of the lowdown on Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's there's stories about people losing their information. They cannot log back in and get their Bitcoin. It's gone. It's gone forever. Just like if you were to drop gold down the drain, you cannot get it back. Same thing with Bitcoin. And that is that, um, you know, you've heard me mention before about uh, how good stocks are doing this year and how if you're not making money on Robinhood, it's because you're not trying. And I just feel like this, uh, this is called momentum trading. It's just looking at a stock, looking at the direction that's going and just being able to predict it. And we're able to predict it with certainty because we've been doing it for the last two years. So it's, um, it's an interesting phenomenon. You know, there's guys that call themselves real day traders that sit around, they analyze data, they crunch numbers, and they've never seen anything like the returns that these people are getting today. They're just picking a stock, throwing a dart and waiting and it goes up and you cash out and make money. Same thing's been happening with Bitcoin. People just buy it, they sit, they wait, they make money. The problem is that people are getting accustomed to this method. And one day it's going to end. So I know I've told people before, you know, go out there and buy some stocks, but be very careful. I think that um, before we know it, it's, it's going to all turn around. And, and think about the times throughout history that we look back and we say, oh, man, that was, that was the good old days. You know, for me, it was being able to go to the bank and borrow enough money to build a house without anyone really asking questions or wanting any money down. You know, you just walk, walk in there with a plan and some budget numbers and you walk out with a check. And to me, those were the good old days because you could borrow as much money as you needed to build homes. And it was easy to make money. Of course, it all comes to an end. So... Just be aware of that. If you decide to get in the stock market, think of it as a casino and all of your money could be lost at any given time. I had a scare last week. I had bought some um, the marijuana stocks. So I, I classify stocks by the type of industry that they're in because typically when an industry starts doing well, all the companies within that industry do well also. So I look and I see some movement on the marijuana companies. And I thought, wow, I wonder if um, I wonder if Biden's made some comment about legalizing marijuana. So I go poke it in the old Google thing. And sure enough, there's some press releases about Biden saying that, like, yeah, we're going to work towards, you know, ending prohibition and, and decriminalizing it on a federal level, making it more accessible. And I thought, awesome, I finally got in at the bottom of a curve and I'm going to ride this thing to the top and I'm going to jump out. So I go to bed, and I get heavy into it. I'm not going to disclose the amount, but I put a decent amount of money into these stocks. Split it up amongst five of them. Go to bed. I wake up the next morning right after market opens, and they all tanked. <laughs> it looked like planes were nosediving to the ground. And I thought, what is happening? This is it. Elizabeth, I'm coming. This is the big one. Here it is. And I go to look in about it, and what it was was all these Reddit kids had agreed to just go start doing pump and dumps. And I thought, man, I feel like Melvin Capital right now. They got me. So that's how momentum trading can burn you. If you don't know what's going on in the industry and you don't know what else could be happening as an underlying factor and money just comes that easy, chances are something is going to go wrong. 
So keep that in mind. Alrighty. I think that's going to wrap up today's program. Oh, wait. Hold up. Hold up. I got a story. Well, hang on. Let me look. I'm going to find a story. I've got a list of stories on my phone. I'm going to pick one and tell one. I feel like today's show is kind of bah humbug, kind of blah and boring. So let me just pick a funny story here. The time that we started racing school buses. How about that one? So the year was probably 2007, 2008. And we're at my buddy Corey's house, who lived out in East Texas. Had about 160 acres, I think, and a pasture. Well, his neighbor was like the king of junk acquisition. And he would just find these deals, or he would make these deals, and he would randomly end up with things that can be used for fun. And so one of these times in particular was a school bus. And so he's like, man, I got the school bus. I paid 600 bucks for it. And so we're like, okay, cool. And they would take it to the bar. Like he would drive it to the bar, load people up, stop at their house, drop them off. It became like an icon. So one day we started riding it around. And with some people on the top of the bus or some people in the back of the bus, full of people, full of beer, full of coolers. And then someone kind of goes fast, like a little bit. So we cleared the people off the top. We put everyone inside. And we decided that we're going to start having time trials around our buddy's pasture. And I could see how this was going. It was early in the evening. And I thought, man, this could get really, really fun or really, really dangerous. So as the night went on, people would take the bus and they would drink a little bit more and they would take the bus and they'd go make a couple laps. Finally, the end of the night was rolling around and throughout the night, everyone would come up to me after they drove and they'd be like, dude, you should go, you should go drive the bus, go take the bus, go drive the bus. And, and, and I would always say, I will, I probably will just, you know, let me, give me a little bit more time. I need to drink a couple more or, or whatever. But in my head, I was thinking, I've noticed how each time the bus is taken out, it gets a little bit crazier and a little bit crazier. And I want to wait until the end of the night <laughs> where it's acceptable to be very, very crazy on the bus. So I did. <laughs> I took the bus. I don't want to say that I set the precedence because it could have been someone else. But either way, a precedence was set whereby we were trying to jump the bus. <laughs> and so... I remember how, I don't remember all the details. I remember looking back and seeing like a, one of those giant white igloo coolers that was sitting on the floor. And we had jumped so hard that the back of that bus flew up and it launched that cooler four foot off the, the floorboard of the bus and flying through the air. And so it just got rowdier and rowdier. The night ended with the bus stuck like nose down in the mud where the hood had popped open engine had completely shut off and the flasher lights were going the stop sign was out <laughs> so the whole bus was covered in like mud and grass clearly it was a great time and that ended up leading to the fred lobster 100 which i will proceed to tell that story on a different date and time my recommendation is if you ever get a chance to race a school bus in a pasture take advantage of it not only that, but try to be the last one. Because then all the crazy stuff had already been tried and you can be as wild as you want to. Okay, now it's going to wrap things up. It's officially 32 degrees, 425 in the evening. I've got a, uh, a brewery employee coming over to stay because he has no power at his house. 
And so I got to get things set up. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I encourage everyone to go out there, question things, be respectful, help people when you can, invest your money wisely, take ownership in your mistakes, take pride in your work, and like their late, great Big Pokey says, never let them see you slipping. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm East Pound, just watch no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Never mind them breaks Let it all hang out Cause we gotta run to make The boys are thirsty in Atlanta And there's beer in Texarkana And we'll bring it back No matter what it takes He's pounding down Loaded up and trucking Are we gonna do what they say Can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm eastbound Just watch your bandit run